My spirit has always existed as Nehio. Before I came Ursad, I was Nehio, and since I've been born, I have been Nehio. I will always be a Nehio Esquail. And on this journey through time, laws, and settler migration, I've felt distance between myself and what it means to be a Nehio. Our knowledge systems have hid, and they've been damaged. Because of this, I have a deep-rooted urgency and responsibility to reclaim my ancestral language, to speak Nehewewin into the world and to watch it dance through the sky. And that's why we're doing this series, the Endangered Indigenous Languages Project. Over the next four weeks, we'll be releasing a four-part series that shines a light on the Nehewewin speakers, learners, and revitalization efforts. Our guests come from all across the West, some raised in their language and some coming back to it. In this series, we'll dive deep into each of our guests' relationship with the language, their culture, and the land. While sharing Cree words and phrases along the way. We hope that you enjoy this project and cherish the conversations we had. We found purpose and responsibility within their words and stories. A responsibility to preserve our language for future generations. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this series. Kinesko now. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Comeback Podcast. Today is episode three in our language revitalization series. Today we were joined by Dr. Herman Michelle. Dr. Michelle is a writer with numerous published books and articles. He grew up on Reindeer Lake, Treaty 10 territory. He is a member of the Barren Lands First Nation. Dr. Michelle studied in four universities. In 2008, he completed a PhD in education from University of Regina in curriculum and instruction. Cree culture and school science. He has a master's degree in education from the University of British Columbia. He was he also completed courses in education psychology and special education from the UBC and U of M. So Dr. Herman Michelle has been in the field of indigenous education for many years. He's an advocate for the indigenization of schools and places of higher learning in the aftermath of residential schools. He has expertise in land-based education, as well as bridging Western science and indigenous ways of knowing. Dr. Michelle conducts indigenous-based professional development workshops. He is currently an external consultant for the Prince Albert Grand Council. In this conversation, we sit down with Dr. Herman Michelle to really explore this deep-rooted purpose and passion of the Cree language and Cree language revitalization. And he has always been a language speaker. He grew up on the land. He grew up with a rich history of trapping and hunting and ties and connections to the land. And so we talk about his life's work through academia and his current work as a consultant with the Indigenous Languages Act, which recently passed um, a few years back and what that means for our indigenous languages moving forward. We talk about the role of language, of our Cree language, of all indigenous languages in our own indigenous identity. And we talk a bit about his new book, which will be coming out hopefully in June of 2022. And lastly, we touch on this idea of spiritual connection and purpose and learning our indigenous languages and how it's not just something that we're doing, but how it's something that's tied deeply to who we are as people. And so this conversation was a very wonderful one to have. And I have read one of Dr. Michelle's books before, and I was really excited to have him on the podcast. And he is just a ball of wisdom, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, so let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Comeback Podcast. Today, we are joined with Herman Michelle on our special language revitalization series. I'm super excited to sit down and have this conversation. Yeah. Um, Herman, would you like to introduce yourself in whatever way you you like? Yeah, uh, thank you for that introduction. I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm really happy to be with you uh, today and uh, to talk about um, um, First Nations languages and land-based education. And um, so that's a topic of my, uh, my discussion um, uh, today. But uh, before I... Um, do that, let me introduce myself a little bit more deeper. Um, I am uh, from Reindeer Lake. <clears throat> it's about uh, uh, about three hours north of La Ranch okay. in uh, northern Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. um, Treaty uh, 10 territory. And uh, we're the Woodland Cree and Nadeni people that live in that area mm -hmm. and so i come from a, a a very strong trapping and and hunting family um and of course you know we come from a very 
uh, strong uh, Cree uh, oral literate culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, yeah, I come from a, a long line of, of, of land-based peoples uh, from where I come from. So that'd be my introduction to myself. Are you currently residing in Reindeer Lake right now or are you residing somewhere else? I am um, in Prince Albert, uh, Saskatchewan. I am an external consultant for the Prince Albert Grand Council. Um, I work very closely with the uh, the Grand Chief and the two two Vice Chiefs, as well as the the 12 uh, First Nations uh, that we serve under the Grand Council. And so uh, a lot of work and of course one of those areas is around education and of mm-hmm. course with the um with the indigenous languages act that came out it's it's a huge uh topic of um of discussion and conversation in, in mm-hmm. the region that i that i work with is this the languages act that um started in hudson bay in quebec is this the same one that has those origins um i'm not quite sure where it has its origins but but we do have it now in in, in Canada it's the law of the land mm-hmm. and uh, it's just it, uh, it's a new piece of legislation and uh, it, it just emerged and um, so there's a lot of work that needs to be done um, right off the bat and mm-hmm. I understand that we are um, also hiring uh, a languages commissioner as, as, as part of the process, but, but definitely a lot of work, uh, exciting times. Mm-hmm. You know. This is like in terms of like a federal level that's just kind of affecting um, everything down? The Languages Act is like yes, a federal legislation? Like, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's like the, the, the English and French Languages Act but we have the Indigenous Languages Act. So when, whenever it becomes an act, it comes with uh, stor- statutory funding. Okay. You know, so yeah, so there's, it, it's the law of the land and um, serious uh, attention needs to be paid to the revitalization and maintenance of our languages in Canada. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, I guess like my first question, like kind of talking about the work that you do is how does um, being a language holder impact, you know, the direct work that you're doing with the nation? Nations. And nations. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really important, you know, as you know, um, our languages and our cultures and, and, and the lands that we occupy are are inseparable elements of who we are as First Nations people. And um, so um, when we talk about self-determination, you know, all of that comes in, into effect, you know, because we've had um, a long history of uh, colonial uh, influences and uh, of course you know a century of uh, impacts of the residential school system mm-hmm. where we were not allowed to uh, speak our um, our languages mm-hmm. and so you know um, it's really important to really understand what took place and and, and also the meaning you know behind uh, the languages that that we speak, mm-hmm. you know, for me, you know, um, even if I don't understand another language, for instance, if you listen uh, very carefully to the words that are expressed, you can hear the, the sounds of the land in the natural world mm-hmm. in the way people express the words and the terminology and, and the metaphors and the concepts. And so, you know, for us, our languages are, are very, very sacred and, um, and they come alive, mm-hmm. you know, through the energy of breath and mm-hmm. the sound of, in my case, it's the Cree words because I'm a, a, a woodland Cree speaker. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Does, um, so when was that legislation passed? It would be 2021, I believe, in the summertime. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. I have, I, yeah I, I, I'll have the, um, the, the actual day towards, towards the end of my conversation with you. Mm -hmm. It is super. You mentioned your like exciting times, and I didn't realize it was so fresh because I took a languages class in university last fall, and they were mentioning it, and so I, I didn't realize how recent of a of a piece of legal law that was, and it is very exciting times then to be like, this will deserve the funding and the attention and the time and detail for this to be ingrained into our education systems, hopefully, and other means of of learning the language and teaching the language as well yes yeah, so um it's 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 definitely a reconciliation effort mm -hmm. you know because you know our languages uh, deserve an equal place within the canadian societal apparatus mm -hmm. you know we, we we are the original peoples and we speak our original languages and um we have um deep, deep, deep philosophical thinking, you know, behind and the underpinnings of, of, of the way in which we express of ourselves and our, our, our place within a natural world. And so, you know, um, our languages, they're, they're, they're inseparable from our, our indigenous knowledge systems. That's how we express mm -hmm. the way in which we think and our knowledge systems and our, and our wisdom that comes from, that's, that's passed down in our family lines mm -hmm. from way, way back, yeah. Do you, do you foresee um, a current challenge with, I just read on your last slide there that they're inseparable from the land and we're seeing, this is something of interest to me because I currently live in a city and I kind of plan to maybe live in a city for the rest of my life. And what does that mean to me as like a second language learner or everybody else that's trying to reclaim their indigenous languages is if the languages are inseparable from the land and we need to learn them on the land, then then what does that mean for urban indigenous people kind of thing or like, is this going to be a, a challenge within the reclamation journey and the revitalization journey? Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of uh, fascinating work um, that's being done by First Nations language teachers across Canada. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the work that they do, um, even though it's groundbreaking, sometimes it's they're not showcased and we need to do a better job of that. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, when we say land, um, we have to define what we mean by land using the languages that, 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 that we speak. And so, for instance, in urban environment, you, you still have the natural world within your midst, mm -hmm. you know, you still hear the birds, mm -hmm. there are trees, there are rocks around you, there's water, you know, we're still very connected to the natural world. Mm -hmm. Even the streets that we walk on is rock, you know, for us, rock is, is our grandfather rock, mm -hmm. you know. And so it depends how you think about these things and your perception of, 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 of your learning environment, right? Mm -hmm. And your teaching environment. And so it's just a way, a different way of thinking about it. And, and yes, absolutely. You know, I worry about um, our children that are going to school in urban environments where they don't have you know that much of a connection with the natural world more less than um you know our kids that are in reserve environments where mm -hmm. they have access to, the, to mm -hmm. the land and the water and so yeah absolutely and i think there's different teaching methods that can be used in in both contexts i really like it is a shift in perspective to be like well how like it's maybe too dis dismissive to be like i currently live in a city so i'm not connecting to the natural world but how do i bring more intention to that right now because everything is everything that is created does come from the earth and so how do i how am i more aware of that and i appreciate mm -hmm. that you said that because it allows me to kind of shift my perspective yeah and i think also too um <clears throat> I'm, I'm i'm right into the really big into the land-based education movement mm -hmm. you know um 
it's it, it's so critical it, it, it's so essential at, at, at this juncture in our history of education in Canada mm-hmm. and I think um, when, when when I talk about land-based education with teachers they automatically think oh, I gotta go spend you know days and days and days days and days out on the, out on the land before I learn anything you know that kind of thing but it's mm-hmm. not like that um, I usually say to them, think about balance, you know, it's good to go out on the land and it's good to bring the land right into the school, into the classroom system. Okay. Mm-hmm. In, in which ways would you see that? Like, do you have any examples? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, um, for instance, if you are working with... Um, uh, let's say gardening, for instance, you mm-hmm. know, growing thing, such a big thing, food sovereignty. And, um, you know, there's, there's lots of, you know, plenty of room and opportunity to be doing that on school sites, for instance, you know. Um, but for us, you know, we have language concepts that are attached to those plants. And for us, plants are not just plants mm-hmm. they come from plant nations and there are stories behind those plant nations and so so that's how deeply we go into these things mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about the connection between languages and land-based education so it doesn't matter where you are I think there's a way mm-hmm. there's a way to to teach those concepts and to teach the language because at the, at the end of the day, you know, you want to help um, children to develop, um, you know, fluency and, um, you know, uh, ways of communicating that, are, that, that represent their, 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 their cultural way of being. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to take it back a little because uh, I know you from reading your book and extensive research, and but maybe our, our guests, the people listening to the podcast don't know you. And so you've had a long relationship with academia and doing work in your academia. And did that started with getting a teaching degree? No, my uh, education sort of took a, a, a different path. And um, I started out at the University of Winnipeg um, and I was studying in the field of sociology and sort of going into, you know, law enforcement and I was thinking of a legal uh, degree, okay. you know, that kind of thing. And um, and then I, I sort of, you know, got into this whole area of counseling students and that's mm-hmm. how I got into education. And then, of course, you know, I took flight from there and I took education psychology at the... Um, at the post-baccalaureate level and of course at the master's level as well it, it, it sort of you know so and then it became okay i want to be in the classroom or i can help teachers in the system with whatever they need to do because mm-hmm. they do really need a lot of help you know they're doing the best that they can in their schools mm-hmm. and um we, we've been chronically underfunded for so many years you know that that, that has affected our quality of education and mm-hmm. the programming that we do in our in some of our communities and so including languages you know um, education so yeah it's really interesting to like see um a lot of the you know people that we've had on our podcast and it it's almost like the same it's very different journeys between everyone, but so many similarities on like this path of reclaiming, like a lot of people didn't choose this path necessarily. Um, and they just kind of grew into it or organically. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's so much focus on, um, you know, repairing the damage, um, uh, from the impacts of residential schools, mm-hmm. you know, and then of course we have day schools as well. Those impacts, those stories are just beginning to come out now. Mm-hmm. Similar, you know, policy on assimilation, you know, the 60s scoop, you know, where our children are placed in non-native homes where they didn't have access to uh, their culture and their languages. And, mm-hmm. you know, and this whole thing on the way in which 
uh, curriculum has been developed in Canada. You know, things are improving though in 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 provinces across the country when it comes to the integration of culture and languages in in schools. But we we still have a long way to go. Like we, we're still dealing with systemic racism, mm-hmm. and you know, and 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 some of the in the fallout. You know, the, the, there's remnants of all that stuff that's still ongoing. And yet, at the same time, you know, we're we're pushing ahead, and we're forging forward mm-hmm. in terms of revitalizing who we are. You know, and and, and it really, it's it, it's really all about sharing the beauty mm-hmm. of, of who we are as nations people. We've always been sharing like that. You know. Mm-hmm. Where do you think your um your passion for land-based education and sharing land-based education in the language comes from? Um, well, I was I was uh, privileged to have grown up in a trapping family. You know, they say mm-hmm. that uh, the first five years of your of your life is, is 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 really critical to the way in which you grow and 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 become as an adult. And for me, you know, I I, I did have that privilege of, of of being out on the land with my parents, and where they where we spoke. You know our languages fluently, you know on a daily basis, and you know we have such rich anchors on the land and the natural world. That's what I mean. You know, like uh, mm-hmm. the immersion aspects of, of being out on the land is really important to language revitalization. And so I think all of that stems back from from my upbringing, mm-hmm. and um, it's entrenched in my memory. It's entrenched in my psyche, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, I, I, I take um, the land and the language that I speak no matter where I go in this world, you know, so. That's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. Hello. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I weren't sure if you were um, gonna keep with your slide. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find, because language because we have been oppressed by lots of laws and we are we are in the age now where we are recovering and we are revitalizing but it is it is sometimes personally hard for me to I get exhausted being like I feel like I should know this language or I feel like mm-hmm. it's it requires a lot of work and so do you how do you find um like is there any like wins within like doing your work that you can share like any moments of like feeling great like pride Mm -hmm. in the work you've done that have like that has kept you going and or has made it easier and kind of working against systems that aren't necessarily working with us yeah every bit about every bit of everything that i do is 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 interrogating Mm -hmm. you know our educational system Mm -hmm. you know um we've built a lot of capacity um, as educators within this country, we have a lot of First Nations teachers. Mm-hmm. We also have a lot of First Nations administrators. We have a lot of First Nations language teachers, and so on and and on and on. You know, um, I think um, going forward, you know, we have um, to showcase what we do because I know, you know, from my interaction with 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 a lot of teachers, you know. Um, they do share with one another, mm-hmm. and uh, but a lot of times, you know, um, like we really need to raise the profile of, of, mm-hmm. of, of what's happening at the grassroots level. Mm-hmm. And it comes with doing things like, you know, making sure that you have a really good First Nations languages plan. Yeah. You know, not only not only within your within your school, but right across the sectors, you know, like mm-hmm. we can speak our languages in not only in education, but also in justice and corrections and mm-hmm. health and all those other areas. And so this is where the Indigenous Languages Act becomes really important because it's a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. I read a lot of the stuff within my first, my semester of school last year about how like fluency isn't going to come out of teaching Cree or indigenous languages as as a topic, like as a subject, kind of like how we go to French 
and we learn French for that one hour, it's like not necessarily the most efficient way for revitalizing our languages and how it needs to stop being discussed like it's just a subject and it needs to be like encompassing in like everything we do within the school. And I think that is something that will be more enabled and supported by this Languages Act, which is really cool. Yeah, so I think, um, think about it as, um, you know, um, energies, mm -hmm. you know, that flip through uh, not only within our education system, but all aspects of our societal structures within our First Nations. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it does have energy. It, it's it, it, it's sacred mm -hmm. and it comes from a sacred space and it's got power and it, it has to thread through everything that we do and it comes from the inside out you know um, for teachers that are listening to this they call it intrinsic you know mm -hmm. learning you know taking ownership of your own learning if you want to learn your language you know you know, do it in a sacred way and be committed to it, mm -hmm. you know, and start small, you know, you don't have to be fluent, you know, like it's, yeah, it's like a lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, know, you do it on a daily basis. And in the Woodland Cree um, culture, we have six seasons mm -hmm. and we spoke our languages throughout those six seasons we did certain things at certain times of the year and we used our languages to express those ways of knowing and ways of being so yeah do you find that something in today's society or in different communities that we've we've kind of drifted away from yeah very much so and it's it's and it's not really our fault you know because mm -hmm. one of the things that happened throughout the residential school era is that you know the children were removed um from their lands first of all mm -hmm. they were removed from their families um they were removed from their traditional knowledge keepers mm -hmm. you know they were removed from their indigenous language keepers you know they were removed from their community and so there was a lot of um there's a lot there was a lot of tearing up that happened and so you know it's so really important to you know to to fix that web of life, you know, in mm -hmm. one of my books, I call it reweaving the web of life. And that's exactly what needs to happen, you know? So yeah, lots of work to do. Mm -hmm. What do you, what would be a tangible way to, to allow that to happen in our communities now? I think one of the most important things that can be done, and it's about entrenching, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we have, We've had programs come and go, you know, sometimes they put on the shelf, you know, after the fact, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think um, policy development is really important, you know, like, for instance, in the school system, you need to develop language policies, even incentives for teachers that are using their languages while they're teaching, for mm -hmm. instance, you know and are doing projects that are, that are language related or some kind of thing that they're doing to um, revitalize and, pay, uh, and, and maintain the languages within the particular community. And, you know, those kinds of things. So policy development, mm -hmm. uh, incentive really important, you know, and, and just really uh, raising, you know, the importance mm -hmm. and the vitality of our languages and expressing who we are as First Nations people. So like seeing an investment in like, in our languages instead of it just being kind of like a side thing. And so mm -hmm. a lot of that does stem from policy and stem from governance and being like, how do how do we show that this matters and we value this in mm -hmm. our systems? And I think that is really important. I think we like, 
as indigenous communities across have really been making like huge pivotal moments and and i think in the future we're going to see big changes i know that in regina saskatchewan here one of the schools i think does have a cree immersion program no i thought it was there's one in saskatoon oh saskatoon well i was i was hitting Mm -hmm. that one on the head but I want to say, okay, well, I'll do some more research on that, but I want to say it was like the Seven Stones program in Regina here. I think they might have Cree classes, but it's but not, not an immersion? immersive program, yeah. And so we're seeing that in... Yeah, so I guess like back to my topic was that um, I think we're seeing it and we just need to keep seeing it and, and normalize it and really bring it to the forefront. And I think a lot of the work that you are doing right now um, is going to make that huge impact within our you know or like our lang- Cree language communities Cree communities <laughs> i'm a little tired today i'm sorry <laughs> <My brain. laughs> yeah so i think um you know um it's so so there's a lot of movement right now mm-hmm. around you know, language revitalization and the momentum has just picked up right over again. You know, it, it, um, it's 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 coming in waves. And um, when the right policies are developed, you know, so now we have legislation, mm-hmm. and so we need national policies, provincial policies, what what have you, mm-hmm. you know. And and of course, you know, this this whole languages landscape is is is, is going to change. Mm-hmm. It's going to transform. It's going to be in a state of flux. It's going to be in a state of ambivalence. It's going to be in a state of transformation. It'll be an ongoing circular kind of uh, transformation. And so, you know, um, who knows? You know, these are exciting times and people are doing a lot of research now in the universities, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this is how, uh, you know, knowledge production changes. Mm-hmm. And we have more and more of our people going into graduate studies and doing research and uh, really changing the academic landscape in terms of how we see languages, how we teach them and how we learn languages, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So it's a it's, it's a total uh, discourse, you know, and it's been emerging, emerging for a, for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here up on the slide, it says our languages are rooted in the land. And this is, I'm finding as I have more of these conversations about what it means to be a language learner and what it, it, and what this means, I can, I can agree with it. Like, I think you can say that to anybody, like our languages are rooted in the land, but I think it's another thing to really understand what that means to you on like an, on a, on a spiritual level almost. And so I was wondering if maybe we could explore that idea like a little bit more in terms of like, I was talking with one of our guests, um, Frida Kuchikum from Papika Seas First Nations, and we were talking about how I was kind of a little like, as I'm learning and talking to fluent speakers and then second language learners, kind of fascinated with this idea that we we're learning it from like a standardized dictionary kind of like these terminologies and not necessarily from a point of like the descriptive way that the Cree language is and so I'm wondering if there's going to be kind of this like gap between second language learners and fluent speakers and that we we know kind of how do we approach this and learning that a lot of our values are rooted in the language and rooted in the land and so it's how do we continue to be second language learners and still get those values and what you what you kind of see for the future of second language learners that are learning in a university setting kind of thing yeah so if if i could share a story with you there was a time when i was um I, I, I was uh, a professor at First Nations University of mm-hmm. Canada, and it always intrigued me that, um, you know, we had these groups of um, Asian students that were taking our uh, Cree language mm-hmm. uh, courses. And, um, you know, it, 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 it was really interesting because um, a lot of them had really high marks more than our fluent speakers. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and so, you know, if, if, if they, I don't know what they do, but if, if 
whatever they do, you know, it, ha it, it, it must be from my, you know, that connection between mind and heart, yeah. you know, in terms of, you know, relating to the, to the, to the language and, and really having a relationship with that language and being able to speak that language with that relationship um, in mind. Mm -hmm. I, I think um, that's the essence of it. And, and, and what's really important is that it's the worldview at the end of the day that we're trying to repair here. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we, we, we were so disconnected from the land and the natural world because of our experiences in the residential school system. Mm -hmm. And so that is the essence of why we take you know the kids out in the land and that's the reason why the elders say we must you know go back to the land to relearn who we are mm -hmm. in our places in the natural world you know so it's that worldview that we're trying to uh reconnect and and uh, and of course you know it, it's, it's it's very strongly attached to to the language to the languages that we speak you know the, the, the languages are the threat mm -hmm. you know of, of, of the webs that we're trying to you know to repair mm -hmm. it makes me think about like well for it gives me hope for the future and for our, our these these next generations that come that we that there is people putting in the work and that they have such an importance and value on this and hopefully that our next generations will feel that work being done and it also makes me think about like school systems now and how we look around and we're like we're teaching kids to like read and write and learn english and those are all really good things but it's kind of like in terms of like we need to go back to the land because we are trying to repair these worldviews and teach our kids these and kind of like how do we create kids that have these like values of humility and respect mm -hmm. like rooted within them and like why that is so much more important to like craft like to be able to shape human beings rather than like shape workers for our society and so i think mm -hmm. that's like a really important thing because i work with youth right now and one of the things that i'm thinking about is like how do how do i gear towards teaching these kids in a treatment facility like a healing lodge more compassion and how to be kind and with teenage mm -hmm. boys that's like an extra challenging thing but it's like something that i want to be of like utmost importance rather than just like knowing facts about things and so mm -hmm. i think these next generations will feel all of this work that's being mm -hmm. done um, I also wanted to yeah, kind of, oh, sorry. Yes, yeah, sorry. No, you can go, Harmon. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought up that topic about, you know, the next generation, you know, because um, absolutely, I, I, I'm beginning to see, you know, a lot of our young people now, especially the little ones, you know, they're, they're out on the land, they're doing things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there was a time when we used to say, you know, I want to be able to, you know, um, have my child walk in two worlds, right? Mm -hmm. um, but now we live in a global world. You know, now we need to shift our thinking and say, I want my child to be able to walk in multiple worlds, mm -hmm. you know, because we have so much, you know, to share with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we do have prophecies within our cultures, mm -hmm. you know, that talk of the time of, 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 of people coming together from all nations. And, mm -hmm. and learning together and living at peace with one another and that we become the teachers of, mm -hmm. of, of a peaceful coexistence and so you know that is one of the you know the most important things for me as an educator is that I have a sacred responsibility mm -hmm. you know to ensure you know that we have an education system that allows our young people to learn about who they are learn about their knowledge systems and be able to express their ways of knowing through the languages that we have been giving mm -hmm. by the giver of life mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome thank you for sharing um 
I wanted to go back a little bit. So we also had um, Sky DeRocher on our podcast as well. And, and we were talking about um, when you'd mentioned when you were a professor and, you know, the other kids, non-Indigenous, were, you know, learning the language easier than Indigenous kids. And, and Sky um, brought up a point that, you know, it was a part of the colonization and the abuse that happened at schools and how hard it is um, because it was like taken away from us. And so when I was in school and I struggled to learn Cree and and, and Sky said just to be really gentle because it, it's a part of our, you know, um, what had happened. And I was just wondering if you had like any advice to language, second language learners um, who are struggling in the learning of Cree in the beginning stages and what would you give them or what advice would you give them? I think, um, you know, um, if, if I could put it this way, you know, um, Indigenous education is about you connecting the, um, the past um, and the present and the future. Mm -hmm. You know, we know things have happened to us. Mm -hmm. And we know, you know, the cycle, the psychosocial repercussions of what happened to us. And um, our experiences have impact our ability, you know, to utilize our languages in the fullest possible way. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's so important to uh support one another you know in terms of learning your language even if it's just one word a day you know like i said it becomes a lifestyle mm -hmm. i have non-native friends uh that have come to live with us up in northern saskatchewan mm -hmm. that speak the woodland cree language fluently and you know what you could hear the voices of our ancestors in the way that they mm. speak. And that goes to show, you know, the power of our ancestral voices through the languages that we speak. And mm -hmm. even if non-native, you mm -hmm. know, people can speak, they're speaking through them now, right? Because mm -hmm. they're able to speak that language. So think about it that way, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's definitely not something you could do alone I think as a second language learner mm -hmm. I've been finding it's if I'm just trying to revive like learn the language by myself I'm not finding much success and I think that just goes to speak to like how much we need community and people and how we are connected beings mm -hmm. yeah so I think um, like you know I, 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 I one of the things that I always recommend is you know, we do education that are that is relevant, mm -hmm. you know, to our surroundings, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, even when you're sitting within your house, you have language anchors all over you, you know, mm -hmm. how do you say wall in Cree? You know, how do you say bed in Cree? How do you say the kitchen table in Cree? You know, how do you say, come in, welcome, and have some tea with me? You know, <laughs> little words like that, and, mm -hmm. you know, um, it, it goes a long way. And mm -hmm. um, I, I'm happy if you can speak one word to me, man. It's 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 a very <laughs> powerful jump for me. So. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the standardization of the language, and do you think we'll lose meaning and value through it? or? I think it's a very benefit, like personally, I think it's a very beneficial because it's allowing accessibility to the Cree language where there's not necessarily fluent speakers, but yeah, just kind of like, how do we, maybe I want to necessarily like ask a question around like storytelling then is like, is there is a role of storytelling in language revitalization, but how, how can you speak to how important that role is? Well, um, of course, you know, I, I have a new book that's coming out. Super um, it's cool. called Whispers. Yeah, Whispers on the Land. And it's on storytelling methodologies and stories mm -hmm. that teach and heal. You know, we do come from an oral literate, you know, society. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a reason why for that, 
you know mm-hmm. and um, so it's about reclaiming our our oral literacy and um, you know there's been a lot of people um, that have been involved in the standardization of um, indigenous languages mm-hmm. in, in Canada here you know I, I think we have some champions mm-hmm. across the country and um, I love standardization you know because at least it, it gives us um, you know uh, a, a rolling stick in terms of you know um, you know what what you should be learning and then go beyond that mm-hmm. you know it, it doesn't necessarily mean that's where it ends you know mm-hmm. because language learning is so rich you know but there should be standards um in terms of you know what could be learned um say at the um, preschool level mm-hmm. you know middle grades you know at the high school level you know at the university level you know that mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, language revitalization from all, you know, angles, I I, I think would be the strategy that I would use. Very wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? You you mentioned a little bit of what it's about, but... Yeah, so storytelling methodology is one of the main ways of passing... um, passing on indigenous knowledge systems to to the younger generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're storytellers. We have different types of storytellers. Um, some of them are involved in, 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 in telling stories. And of course, you know, there's there's different ways of, of, of telling stories. You could do it uh, storytelling through drama, through arts, through craft, through mm-hmm. song, through dance, you know, all those things. So those are all storytelling uh, methods that we use mm-hmm. um, under the umbrella of uh, storytelling methodology, right? And so in my book, um, I use the six seasons of the woodland creed to talk about, you know, um, you know what what kind of stories that we told uh, and shared uh, during the winter months, for mm-hmm. instance, you know. Um, what kind of stories that we share in the spring, in the summer, in the fall, and so on, and so forth. And then, of course, I have a conversation um, in a couple of those chapters. One of the conversations is with my mother because um, in my culture, and of course in, in many First Nations cultures, other women um, are the first teachers of the natural world. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the first teachers of the languages. There's the, they're the first to take us out on the land and teach us the languages, you know, by connecting with the, um, you know, our, our, our source of survival. Mm-hmm. And so I have that conversation with my mom in that one chapter. And it's, it's really important to bring these out, you know, the way in which we remember the strengths of our people, the strengths within our families, because that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've had a long history of um, researchers that have talked about, you know, our deficits mm-hmm. you know, and what we don't have, and, but at the same time, you know, we are really rich. Mm-hmm. You know, and it depends how we talk about and express what richness means to us, you know. And mm-hmm. so, and then in that one, and then the next chapter, I talk about uh, my Inuit grandmother. I do have Inuit heritage. I do come from a long line of land-based people that come from the north. And um, and um, I have this uh, conversation with my grandmother because... Um, she's coming to my dreams, um, usually at the very lowest points in my life where I need some sort of sense of direction or mm-hmm. a sense of purpose or, or a sense of repurposing. And she shows up in my dreams and I have these conversations with her. And so, you know, she sets me, she, you know, all of a sudden I'm back in, a, in an igloo environment and she's I'm back being an infant mm-hmm. and she's... Um, you know, humming to me and speaking in her language. I don't understand what she's saying, mm-hmm. but I could hear the natural world and the way that she speaks in Inuit. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and then at the end, she she puts me back, you know, to realization, now you need to go back into the world and, and um, 
repurpose your life and um, you know keep on doing the work that you're doing in terms of you know showing the beauty of who we are as first nations people the way mm -hmm. in which we tell stories you know mm -hmm. that our history is so rich and so vibrant mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. so you, you think the the dreams come to you because they're a way to reground you absolutely you know i've always i've always believed in the power of dreams mm -hmm. you know and it goes a long way back to dreaming and fasting envisioning are a big part of our first nation ceremonies this mm -hmm. is where we found our gifts when we went out on the land to fast and to mm -hmm. dream and to vision this is where we found our responsibilities and our life roles you know and uh, for me i've always you know paid attention to my dream world and i think you know your dreams are a doorway to the spiritual realm and a lot of times you know we enter into the dream world and we have these conversations with 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 people relatives that mm -hmm. we've never ever met mm -hmm. and uh, you know for me because i'm a language speaker I, I i speak to them in my language and they respond back and so you know our dream world is is is, is a source of knowledge mm -hmm. you know? That's the reason why I say our indigenous knowledge systems are so rich. It's not just knowledge that happens within the physical plane. Mm -hmm. um, we also get our, our knowledge and our, our teachings from the natural world, you know, the plants that we interact with, the animals that we interact with, and so forth and mm -hmm. so on. So. Mm -hmm. it's, it's Sorry, it's very refreshing because I often, every night, dream very vividly and very wildly. I, I say I'm like... I live a, a completely second life on top of my like already life because I wake up and I remember everything and I'm like, that was a crazy eight hours of dreaming, you know? <laughs> and so it is like this person that I follow on social media recently came to me in my dream and she was, she had a baby and now it's like, it's, it's nice for you to say that. And I think it's something that I needed to hear to be like, well, maybe I'm more deeply connected to this mm -hmm. person that I've never met before because she is visiting me or like mm -hmm. bringing back of an importance of to like, what am I dreaming about? Some dreams I have and I feel like they're just, I don't need to interpret them. <laughs> but I think some, some are like, maybe these are ones I should listen to mm -hmm. kind of thing. Dreams, like I guess speaking of that, um, the Comeback Society came to me in a dream and um, since then, you know, we're, we're on our way to be um, a fully funded nonprofit, um, but it started back with the dream and and seeing us seeing myself doing something um, greater than myself in that dream, and then I put it into play. So dreams are really important and have always played a role in my life as well as Lexi's. Mm -hmm. So when does your new book come out? Um, it's right. Uh, I just got the manus manuscript back from the publisher. Um, I don't have very much, uh, just very minimal kind of uh, uh, fixing up to do in, in, in some of the chapters. Very, very minimal. It'll probably be out, um, I'm thinking, by, by summer. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's exciting. Uh, yeah, this, this is a work um, uh, that, that's taken me four years to do. You mm -hmm. know, in, in between that time, um, I lost my mother during the COVID epidemic, mm -hmm. and um, I was right in the middle of. Well, I had already finished uh, her chapter, and I mm -hmm. had already, mm -hmm. you know, read pieces of it to her, and it was so funny because she found it so. Yeah, she giggled. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> the way that I I wrote about her, and um, you know, it, it 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 was so nice, and I'm I'm glad that she had a chance to, you know, to. To, to, to hear, you know, how I'm talking about her and her mm -hmm, story, mm -hmm. her journey here on Earth and, and what she left with me, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful, like, tribute. And it's a memory that, you know, other people will be able to experience of your mom um, and to know her a little bit while they read your book. So I'm excited and I will keep a lookout for it. What are your hopes for the book? Like, what... What kind of what kind of hopes and dreams do you have for the impact that it will have in our communities? Yeah, so um, I've been on a mission to um, ensure that um, our uh, teachers in training, mm -hmm. uh, our teachers 
you know, the people that are working in our school systems mm -hmm. have access to the latest, you know, cultural-based materials. Mm -hmm. And I really advocate, you know, the articulation of these materials from uh, specific cultures, you know. So, for instance, in northern Saskatchewan, we have the Woodland Cree, from which I am a part. Mm -hmm. We also have the Beni people um, that, that live up there, they have their own culture. Mm -hmm. And we also have the Dakota uh, peoples too that live among us and also the Métis people as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the articulation of those things are so, so, so important and we still have a lot of work to do. And this is the reason why I have hopes that, you know, uh, people, well, they're now, you know, we're now having our own people starting to write our own books. Mm -hmm. and our own articles you know because we need to do that mm -hmm. you know um and, and we need to do it uh, in a deep way back into our communities and relearn mm -hmm. you know and then really have good really good conversations with the local people you know because long time ago it was our it was our um relatives you know that were the teachers mm -hmm. the indigenous knowledge teachers because they were gifted in different ways and they spoke our language in different ways so, mm -hmm. yeah i think it'll be it'll be a very valuable read and i mm -hmm. think for a lot of the teachers coming through as well mm -hmm. in programs like our mom is an educator that came through suntap and you were in suntap for a small stint and i feel like i grew up in the gabriel dumont library so <laughs> it's a it's a really cool reflection to to continue on our lifelong learning mm -hmm. and our lifelong teaching in some people's i used to sleep at, i used to sleep at the university library <laughs> when i was doing my phd oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And some of those places are haunted, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like our mom used to sleep there to the librarian would give her the keys. Yeah. <laughs> She'd be up all night working. <laughs> so it's very... I'm, yeah, I'm so excited to see... Um, you know, we're, we're in the process and, and my vision for a part of the comeback is to offer um, an Indigenous, like, academia book like anything to do with Indigenous so that our employees and the people who we serve would have access to an, an all Indigenous library. And so I hope that we can have your book soon <laughs> and display it with our with our small little bit of a library we have right now. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And so just to kind of wrap up the conversation we have, what are, we talked about hopes and dreams for your book, but what are your hopes and dreams for our community and how do you think language revitalization and shifting our importance to language revitalization plays a role in that? For me, it it, it all has to do with self-determination. Mm -hmm. It all has to do with being fully developed for who we are as First Nations people. Mm -hmm. It really all has to do in terms of strengthening the cultural identity development of our young people, mm -hmm. you know, because they are facing a lot of challenges today. And I just look at the city of Prince Albert, for instance, we have mm -hmm. high poverty rates, mm -hmm. you know, our, our, our young people are falling into the meth addiction, you know, um, we're, they're, they're facing challenges with gangs, you know, and mm -hmm. on and on and on and on and on. And I think, you know, um, we have a, a lot of work to do in terms of challenging systemic racism. Mm -hmm. We need to call it out. We need to challenge it. And we need to make sure that our young people do not have to face those things. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a very large education and, a, and an economic gap in the province of Saskatchewan especially. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, in order to, you know, close those gaps, I think we need to provide as much support that we can uh, for our young people to be able to flourish, mm -hmm. to be able to go into trades, to be able to go into universities, to be able to go into colleges, you know, to be able to, 
you, you learn from the mentorship of our elders and knowledge keepers, you know, because we need to make sure that our cultures and our languages continue to flourish in this country, like they should have, mm -hmm. you know, for centuries, you know, and, and now we're faced with, you know, having to, you know, to spend our energies, you know, repairing what has been done to us when we should be the ones leading this country, and we will. Mm -hmm. You know, we're when I see a time when our young people are going to be the next prime ministers, mm -hmm. you know, the next leaders, the next nation builders, you know, because we need them. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to teach them right and we're going to teach them our languages. It's a very yeah. beautiful and powerful message. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited for the future. I think, mm -hmm. you know, us as Indigenous people are we're going to change the world and we need to be the ones leading it. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, Herman, for joining us today. It really brought this conversation, you know, really taught me a lot about how important it is to revitalize our language and to learn and to keep trying and to keep speaking. Can I scum it then? Can I scum it now? I don't know the right ending for that one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. I was just going to say, because you're going to ask for it now. Thank you for having me today. It was a really wonderful conversation. I like having these conversations, mm -hmm. you know, because this is how it is. You know, when we come together, mm -hmm. we need to have conversations and we mm -hmm. need to have dialogue and we need to learn from one another and we need to teach one another mm -hmm. and we need to make sure that we keep our sacred sacred languages intact because they were given to us for a reason mm -hmm. we can't just throw them away yeah. you know we need to make sure that they're passed on to the younger generation so absolutely absolutely well thank you and i hope that we can see you and meet you one day in person mm -hmm. um